Darren was working at uh, an institution as an ESL teacher, English as a second language, very large campus, and they were living life. Things were going along fine. But that very quickly changed. And from there, they ended up having to make a whole lot of decisions. We're able to sit down with Darren Keenan and hear the entire story of how they got out before the quarantines came in. Darren, again, was working as an ESL teacher in China on a very large campus. Darren, how large was the campus? Oh, goodness, about 4,000 you know, students, staff, faculty, you know, administration. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, Huge. Place. And then all of a sudden, when did you kind of get a hint that something was was happening, that there, there was some sort of viral outbreak? Yeah, we kind of knew about a month before. There were some inklings in the city. It's like the students started to tell us people are getting sick. We started to see more people on the street wearing masks. We started to see like you could feel something was changing about a month before, like when we left. And then our administration was like, ah, I don't believe the rumors, don't listen to the students. But uh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's fire. And people want to know. Yeah, exactly. And is China about not letting people know? Is that is that kind of one of those cruxes where yeah. you don't necessarily get all the info that you want? Absolutely. It's like they control the narrative. They control the process. They control the means of communication. Even our social media, you know, WeChat. I don't care. I'm in Canada. I'll say what I want about the government. It's like, but, and I'll say it on, on WeChat, but I know they're sitting monitoring our WeChat. And if you were to say something they didn't like, absolutely, what could happen? Well, an example would be um, when it first, when the, the virus first broke out, I was trying to find places for my family and I to go to. And our friend in Dalian all of a sudden gets a visit from the, uh, their federal security bureau because I sent a message on WeChat, on WeChat saying, can we go to your hotel? And what would it, what would it, how, how much would it be you know, per night? And then my friend Jason speaks English very well. And um, he's a great guy. And then he tells me, you know, about six hours later, the federal you know, security services showed up at his hotel saying, or do you have, you know, a foreign family coming to stay in your hotel? And that was like, my goodness, that, that told me right away. So this was some sort of innocent, simple... Text message. Kind of text message, nothing more than that. Something that we would send some of us hundreds a day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yet somebody saw that and took the time to go and knock on his door. Yeah, someone saw that and they took the time. Yeah, because we were from Wuhan and we wanted to go to the city called Dalian where okay. we originally worked. And absolutely, they, they monitor it. And they're monitoring it with more vigor today. You know, you need a VPN in China, a virtual private network. Because you can't access news, you can't access, like, you know, Google, you can't access certain news services. Can they tell that you have a VPN and come and try and take that away? Yeah, right now they're blocking it with a lot of vigor. They're blocking it all the time. So, you know, we've got teachers on the campus still, there are a few there, and they can't access news from overseas. They can't access YouTube. They can't access um, Google services. They can't access Facebook because their VPNs are being actively blocked. And then, you know, we'll communicate with them and I'll talk with them and tell them, you know, Try this, try that. So rumors start to surface that, that what? That the people are getting sick? Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the, the students were telling us that uh, people are getting sick in the city of Wuhan. 
And then... And where were you in you terms of proxy? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. proxy, were you in... In the city, because there's there's Wuhan province that we hear yeah, about. Yeah, sorry, sorry. There's sorry, also there. Wuhan the city. Yeah, it's Wuhan the city and Hubei the province. Yeah, Hubei is a big province, and Wuhan's the the capital city of that province. And Wuhan is about maybe twelve or thirteen million people. But yeah, we're in the city. We're right smack dab in the the southern part of the city, and then you know you're surrounded by apartment buildings that house fifty thousand people. They're enormous. Yeah, they house you know. 10,000, 20,000 individuals, and you're surrounded by dozens of them. So it's like, it's a ginormous ant colony, if you will. What were you hearing about this illness? Well, China's gone through before, right? They went through the SARS epidemic, and it was far worse there than in Ontario. And I'm only getting this because I would ask my coworkers what happened. So they, they they had an idea of what was going on with the people. Because they'd been through, when they were, you know, some of the teachers, uh, some of my colleagues that I work with, they had been through such a situation when SARS occurred, when they were in grade 12 and grade 11 in school. So I'm asking them, and some of them are honest with you. They'll give you the, you know, they're not going to give you the party line. They're going to tell you what it's like. They're going to tell you what happened when SARS, you know, occurred. And the same timeline basically panned out as during the beginnings of the SARS epidemic all those years ago. They, they, they built hospitals in 10 days. That tells you something. And when we hear, because there were news stories yeah. that came out and, and it would say, hey, they've built a hospital to deal with this. Yeah. The question becomes, okay, well, building a hospital in, in a few days, what does that hospital look like? I mean, are, are we thinking <laughs> warehouse? Are we thinking giant tent? You're, you're thinking a prison that is a hospital. That's what you're thinking. And that's what it is. Steel doors, bars on the inside of windows. You know, where do you see bars on the inside of windows? Usually on the, on the outside. And it's like, they're not, there isn't just one, there's two of those. You know, there's like a, a convention center that's been taken over. There's a, a small soccer stadium that's been taken over. There's a major hotel that's been taken over. The and these are people. now hospitals. Yeah. They're not hospitals, they're like isolation wards, basically to keep people, you know, away. Yeah. Keep people safe. So it's like... What we see and what's occurring sometimes are two different things. So you're in the midst of, of hearing about this. Mm-hmm. You're in the midst of asking people what it was like in 2003 when we had SARS. Then what are you left to do? I mean, uh, do you sleep at night? Do you worry that, you know, do you let your kids go to school? Well, you know something's going on, right? Yeah, but the other, the other as, as my, my wife rightly, you know, corrects me, it's like it was vacation time there. It was Chinese New Year. As teachers, we would get like a month off of school. The, the, the Chinese nationals and the students, they would get maybe one or two weeks off of school. So basically, we're all getting geared up for vacation. You know, we're making plans to go to Thailand, Cambodia. All the teachers are making plans to go overseas. And uh, everyone's excited. So you're not necessarily thinking about this. But some of us were a little bit more conscious of what's happening than others. And like I say, when you see an uptick in masks... You start to listen to the students because just because you don't understand the language doesn't mean people aren't intelligent. People don't, they aren't aware of things themselves because they are aware of things and they'll do their best to communicate as best they can. And some people did, but then you've got administration and, you know, organizations that tell you what to think. And of course, what does an administration in a country that's a communist country tell you what to think, what they think. And that's what happened. 
Chinese New Year usually brings a week, two weeks, maybe even four weeks off. So that would have people getting ready to go to different places. And that could lead to a greater spread of this new coronavirus. So, for Darren and his family, as Darren outlines, the vacation plans turned into something very different. Oh, vacation plans became escape from Wuhan. That's what they became. They became run and real fast. And how did, how did you do that? Well, we just looked at the, how to get out of there as quickly as possible. We looked at the, the first city that was furthest south of Wuhan and outside the city limits. City called Jiangning. We went there. Then we continued on to a city called Changsha. Then we continued on to, to West Kowloon in Hong Kong. And how were you getting to each of these places? Oh my goodness, high speed rail. Um, we were so lucky because we got a WeChat message at about what, about four thirty in the morning, and that was basically saying the city was going to shut down at ten o'clock. And my wife woke me up, and we had to make a decision. And, you know, I instinctively understood what quarantine meant. It's like lockdown, no one in or out. All of the zombie movies and, you know, that I'd watched. <laughs> they come in handy. Yeah, they yeah. They came in handy. It's like, hey, wait a minute, Z Nation, this kind of happened. It's like, that's when my brain went into, you know, we got to take this seriously. And um, so we made a decision at about 5.30. Just head to the nearest town that's outside of the city limits. So what do you do? Put some clothes in a backpack and... Yeah, basically. We, we threw in whatever we could into a suitcase. But, you know, my wife and I, we had been working overseas. And we have worked overseas for many years. So you've always got things ready to go in a, in a minute. Your passports, your documents, you know, your American dollars. It's all there. You grab them and you go. You don't care about shoes. You don't care about souvenirs. None of that's important. You throw in what you can carry in a suitcase and you deal with it when you get home. But those documents are important. You lose a document overseas, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's the key. Yeah. Documents, yeah. American money. Yeah. As long as you have clothes on your back, you're good to go. You're fine. You can replace and clothes. You can replace shoes. But trying to replace a, a passport when you have no birth certificate, no you know citizenship card, no license from your yeah. home province. Whoa. And That's then it. crossing borders. You cross yeah. into Hong Kong. So you get to Hong Kong. Yeah. What happens then? Well, basically, every city we left, like Jiangnan, Changsha, then West Kowloon Station into Hong Kong, we had this momentum behind us. They were shut down literally hours after we left. And that was, oh my goodness, the, the, the palpable relief. You could feel it. And I'm still feeling it sitting here because my face gets flush. It's like, I feel that when we, when we got there. And uh, because once we arrived, you found out on the radio or on television, the border's been shut. The train station's been closed. The city has now been quarantined. And it literally, we followed this as we went through, halfway through China. You know, we crossed half of China in about five days. And um, some of the, the, the journey was scary. It's like, we don't speak the language. Everyone's yelling and screaming at train stations because they themselves don't know what's going on. But once again, my, my wife and I, we just kind of had a feeling. We kind of knew we had to keep this momentum moving. And we had to be calm, because we've got a, we're traveling with a 10-year-old child. Mm -hmm. And we had to keep this momentum going. And we're lucky we did, because first city, 
We're supposed to stay for two days. I just made the decision, we're leaving in the morning. Two hours later, that city is shut down. We're at the train station, trying to get a taxi to go 400 kilometers. No one speaks the language. All you're getting is sign language for stop, close. You find people that are uncooperative in the, the train station. They won't sell you a ticket, even though you know trains are leaving still to head south. So what do you do? Do you, do you basically, can you stay there and become enough of a pain in the butt that they finally give in? Uh, as my wife is commenting, yes, that's exactly what you do. You just have to continue and persevere. And eventually, you find someone who speaks English. And once again, my friend Jason and Dalian. On, on the WeChat, he's communicating in Chinese, and he's communicating effectively and translating awesomely. And then, you know, a little old guy, basically, you know, a little old uh, officer of the railway comes in and says, give them a ticket. And then the, the lady at the ticket counter... See, my wife understands this. They're, they're like, they have a Soviet mentality. They will not budge. If they are told to jump, how high? And it takes a lot to get them to change their way of thinking because they're working for a state enterprise, the, the railway system. But eventually, a uh, new lady started the, the job, changed, changed the shift. Boom, you get a ticket. <laughs> it's like, there's no reason why. It's like, so for two hours, we had stood there panicking inside but outwardly, we've got to look calm and collected because no one wants, everyone's un, under some kind of strain there. The last thing they want to see are two foreigners going crazy because even then they'll dismiss you even farther. Right. Yeah. So you had to keep it together, Yeah. which you did. So how did you get from there to here? Oh, goodness. Well, so we went from Jiangning to the next city, uh, Changsha, via uh, the high-speed rail, which is awesome. You know, it's four or five hours between cities. And if you look on the map, it's almost a straight line, which is kind of funny. But it's a straight line from Wuhan to Hong Kong. Right on down. Yeah, straight down. Then we went to Changsha. And uh, it's Chinese New Year. There's no one in the city. It's empty. It's dead. (laughs) You know? And it's not necessarily because it's a virus in the city. At this point, it's just starting to to take off. And would there have been a threat that that city locked down? Yeah, this is that's what I mean. There's this momentum inside us. And we were supposed to stay there for three days because we had booked a ticket on uh, Cathay Air to get us out, you know, going to Toronto. And then I said to my wife after the, the first day of staying there, we've got to keep this momentum going. Because what happened the next day, after we left, we got on the train to Hong Kong, this city shut down. And then I remember just reading a bit quickly before we left, the French had, uh, had uh, evacuated their citizens by a bus to Changsha and the, the city of Changsha had been shut down. So literally, it followed us the whole way. The, the, the cities went into lockdown, the cities shut down, the transportation networks were closed, and then we got to Hong Kong. And we get off at West Kowloon Station. We were probably uh, the last group of people from Hubei province to get there. Because about, how long about it? Yeah, the next morning, that border's closed between mainland China and Hong Kong. And once again, Hong Kong took the brunt of the SARS epidemic. They also had the H1N1 flu as well there. And uh, so, you know, they really understood as well what, what, what this means. Because Hong Kong is a tiny place, chock-a-block with people, very densely populated. And it's still an international destination full of tourists, full of people all over the world, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're oh my God, the relief on our faces when we cross that border. You're in a different world. 
People are happy. They're smiling. They're not, you know, communist Chinese citizens. They're, you know, they've gone through nine months of protesting, and they're protesting for a reason because mm -hmm. they want things that we have. And but you, you could feel that sense of relief. The people at the border are smiling. They're happy. They're welcoming you to come into Hong Kong, not like in mainland China. And um, it's like, but there is the reality of this virus that is multiplying at a rapid rate. And the next morning, that's when it kicked in. We were literally the last ones on the last train. And yeah, it, I can still feel the emotions in, us, in me just now because it's like, it, it, it's real when that happens. You've escaped from this place and it's... Just but, barely. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's what I mean. The, the door was coming down. Yeah. You yeah. slid underneath it. Yeah. Indiana Jones. Yeah, absolutely. And Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, there's that giant boulder behind me. Exactly. You know, behind me and my family. But it's, um, and there's still pictures on WeChat of people from Wuhan trying to get into Hong Kong. And still can't. They're literally fighting at the border. Oh, man. Yeah. One more thing, and that is the people who are still in China. And we asked Darren about those people and how they're doing. There are different levels of quarantine. There are different levels of lockdown. You know, in the first city we stayed in, in Dalian, uh, about two years ago, they're on a two-week quarantine, you know, period. Anyone who returns to the school or returns to Dalian, you know, Liaoning province, they're under two weeks of quarantine, so self-isolation, and everyone has to go through it. Um, people are, can still travel there. They can still go to, but... You know, like Air Canada, there's no, there's no air service, Cathay Pacific, Cathay Pacific, there's no air service to get there. So it's like, how'd they get there is, you know, I don't know. But if they do, they have to go into self-quarantine. But Hubei province, no one's in or out. Roads are blocked. Rail traffic is stopped. Air service is stopped. Bus service is stopped. You've got limited taxi service in the city. That's like when, uh, when the Canadians, when some of us got on the plane, you know, got, they had to get the plane to evacuate us. You had to find transportation. <laughs> and so it's like, great, there's a plane at the airport. You got to get there. You got, but you got to get there. Yeah, you got to find someone who's going to authorize a taxi to take you there. Boy. Yeah, that, that, some of the stories we've got from that one were, were, were scary. Wow. Because, you, you know, once again, there's a language barrier, you know. It's like you just can't get on the subway. You can't get on a bus. You can't take a taxi. Will people take bribes? Are they looking for bribes? Does that kind of thing go on? Oh, that, yeah, the price, the prices go up. Yeah, the price of food has gone up. The delivery prices for food has gone up. It's like a lot of supplies, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's just what's going to happen, right? And you are writing a book. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm still looking for a publisher. It's like, so if anyone's listening... <laughs> I am writing a book. All right. And I have two books already published, so, you know, it's... Uh... Well, the story continues, but we really appreciate you telling this story for us right now. Darren, thank you so much for being here. No, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.